Thank you, guys. Awesome songs this morning. Well, hello, it's me again. So uh, Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, the last few verses of chapter uh, 5, and then we'll be into to, uh, chapter 6 a little bit this morning as we continue in our series in Hebrews. Uh, just first want to give you just a, a quick uh, thank you and update. Um, if you don't know, I had a hernia surgery um, about three weeks ago. Um, uh, we call him Herman the hernia. Now I'm really disappointed. Apparently you don't like take out a hernia and put it in a jar, so I'm really disappointed by that. Um, but I learned a lot about hernias. But anyway, I'm all, I'm all fixed, but um, I'm still a little tender and a little sore. Uh, so I'm going to do my best uh, this morning. Uh, the hardest thing this morning is I had to wear pants. So I haven't been wearing pants very much. I know that's a lot of information to take in on a Sunday morning, um, but that's probably the worst part of the surgery is actually having to wear pants. So I put on pants this morning to, for the sake of all of you. And, uh, and God is at work uh, in my life, and I had to wear pants. So, um, but uh, it's a little, makes it actually a little more sore. So that's more information than you need. Um, but thank you for all your, your kind uh, calls and texts and emails. And, uh, and it really meant a lot to us as a family. Because uh, apparently when you have four kids, you just got to keep living your life. And they don't care if you have a hernia. Uh, and so uh, my wife's over me. She's, I'm a, not a good patient at all. Um, and so she's done with me after three days. And you need to get over yourself and stop complaining, you big baby. Um, and so that's why I love my wife. So, uh, and it's true. I am a terrible patient. Um, so Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the last uh, few verses of chapter 5 into verse chapter 6. And, uh, and this is my first sermon in a while, and they gave me a really difficult one that I need about nine hours to get through. Um, and so we'll shrink it down uh, to palatable chunks. It's a really um, kind of challenging verse, but I think there's a lot uh, for us this morning to, uh, to wrestle with and think about as far as what it means to mature in Christ. Um, so with that, Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Uh, 1003 in your chair Bible if you need a Bible and it should be on the screens too. About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Excuse me. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is burned. Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. For God is not unjust, so as to overhear the love that you have for his name and serving the saints as you still do. 
And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the word of God for us this morning. And so uh, in our our text, we've been walking through this letter of Hebrews, which is really a kind of mini sermons given to this this church. It's a unique letter because it's not like Paul's letters um, or John's letters in the New Testament that have a very clear introduction and kind of conclusion and a very specific uh, problem. It's kind of a series of of almost just like mini sermons of of kind of encouragements and exhortations and and, and addressing a people that have have come to faith. They're this Jewish people. They're very much rooted in Jewish culture and tradition and the scriptures, but they've come to faith in Jesus. And, and some would even say some of the audience is also people that aren't Jewish, but a Gentile background. So they have no clue what the scriptures or the customs are about, but they've come to faith and now they're being persecuted. They're being ostracized. They're being pushed to the, the limits of, of the culture, not welcomed into the culture. And so the, the big question becomes for the book of Hebrews, if we wanted to kind of synthesize it down is how do we keep going when you're pushed to the margins? How do you keep going when you're persecuted? How do you keep going when the faith gets really, really, really hard? And the constant refrain, the constant anthem that we hear again and again with Hebrews is, Jesus is better, Jesus is more, Jesus is superior. Look to the author and perfecter of the faith, Jesus, the creator and redeemer of all things. It's not look inward, it's not start a new program or a new campaign, but it's look to the one who has redeemed you, look to the one who's sustained you. Because the temptation for all of us is to continue to go, this is just too hard, to go back to the old ways, to look somewhere else and say, I don't know, it just seems like, I don't know if this is even worth it. But time and time again, the writer's going to say, just keep looking to Jesus, keep coming back to Jesus together as, as a community. And so this morning, what we're looking at is as I've mentioned in past sermons, you probably don't remember because it's been about a month, but um, throughout the, the, writer, the, the book of Hebrews is there's these five different kind of command, or I should say, warnings that are kind of woven through the letter. These five warnings where it's like the, the writer's kind of writing, talking about different things, and all of a sudden he's like, I need to warn you about these things. Be careful about these things. And a few weeks back, I talked about drifting away from the faith, that, that all of us can kind of begin to kind of drift away from the things of God, drift away from being centered in Christ. And, and we need to be warned and reminded of those things. Well, this morning, he's giving another warning, and that's the warning of immaturity. That there is the potential of us actually becoming immature believers. That there's something going on in the church where instead of moving on and becoming mature and rooted and, and, and having a, a, a good discernment of what is good and evil, they're, they're kind of moving back to the old ways. That God doesn't want us just to kind of be on the, as the writer says, to be on the bottle the rest of our lives but to move on to, to meat, on to steak. Now, uh, I just uh, celebrated, well, I shouldn't say I, but my, my oldest son, Noah, just turned 12, so we have a preteen, um, and there's a lot that goes into that, um, but it makes me feel old that we have this preteen, and, and, and I love Noah, and he, he's grown up to be this, this great kid, and I just love him to death, and, and I remember bringing him home from the hospital, and I remember driving about four miles per hour, first kid, right? You're, you're driving, you're just like, get away from, I have a newborn in the back, I don't even know how to strap him in this dumb thing, but get, get away from me, I have a kid, don't run into me, right? And I, but I, and I remember these late nights feeding him bottles, and, and it was it was a great time to bond with him. He was a great kid, great sleeper. Uh, none of the other kids were good sleepers. Um, sorry, Owen, I know you're in here. Um, you were awful. Um, but, um, uh, but the thing is, he's 12 now, and 
we're not having late night bottle sessions anymore. Like that was cute when they're an infant, but when they're 12, I think it's time to get off, you know, the bottle. And, 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 and I will tell you, my son is way off the bottle. He's doing like mushroom melt burgers, double patty, just dad, give me the meat, which just warms my heart. Um, discipleship is working, bacon, you name it, he's on it. But that's a little bit of what the writer's saying to us. It's really cute when you're developing and you're on the bottle, but there's a time where you have to get off the bottle and you have to get on the meat and you have to have the full meal and, and move on. And so, so let's talk about that a little bit uh, this morning. And, and the way I've kind of framed this, this message, because of the way the text kind of frames it, is, is kind of three things. It's, is there's these signs of immaturity. So like when we see it, what does it look like? that he addresses in the text, um, signs of maturity, and then how do we kind of move towards maturity? Like, what does that look like? How do we, how do we get there? So, so signs of immaturity. Notice what, what the writer says. He, he addresses them very clearly in, in our text. And notice in verse 511, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So, so, so all, already he, he's kind of saying, hey, there's a lot of things we need to say, even all the things he's been saying in the whole letter about Christ and this, this high priest who's a, you know, has come from the heavens, who, who, who understands our weaknesses, that there's, there's no need to go back to these temple rituals anymore. Christ has done it for us. There's no need to, to worship angels, as we talked about many weeks ago. There, there's no, no reason to walk away from the faith just because persecution is happening. Don't drift from the faith. But, but he's, he's warning them, and he's saying, you've actually become dull of hearing. Now, what does that, that actually mean? It means kind of slow to learn. It means not reacting, not responding to what's being, being said. It means to, to kind of lack intellectual depth. So you're speaking, but it's just not landing on anything. You're speaking these things of God. These, they've become indifferent to the things of God. They're speaking these promises, and yet it's just falling on, on deaf ears. If you go to chapter 6, verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Sluggish and dull of hearing, almost the same word in the Greek. It's just falling flat. I'm just not that interested. I don't really care. Right? It just doesn't move me like it used to. And, 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 and I want to say, just as I kind of work through this, is that I know some of us, something will rise up in us. We'll just be like, I, I'm there right now. Or, or that's happened to me. Yeah, welcome to being a follower of Jesus. It does happen to all of us. And I'm going to get to actually why I think this, this text says, says, hey, there's still hope here, right? It doesn't mean we're, we're, we're totally gone. We've totally, but, but we want to be aware of those things, right? Are, are the things of God, the scriptures, Christian truth, like, like, like the things when people talk about, you know, Rob going to, to Canada and sharing the God, like, is there anything that's kind of going on inside? Or are we just kind of dull of hearing? Like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Don't really care. But that's what's, what's happening in, in this community. There's a sign, the sign of immaturity is kind of an indifference to the things of God. Now, I want to be clear what, what, what this also doesn't mean. This doesn't mean like if you're a new believer in Christ and, and you're being pummeled with all these new truths and these new ideas and these new promises that somehow you just feel tired, like, oh man, this is just a lot to take in and I don't really understand it all. That's not what he's talking about. We've all been there, right? Trying to grasp these big, like, Oh yeah, God is Jesus is God. He's a creator, and all these doctrines, justification. Okay, Holy Spirit, like Trinity. What what's going on? Right, we're not talking about a, a young believer who just feels kind of overwhelmed. 
We're also not talking about someone that's maybe mentally you know, incapacitated. We're not talking about that either, that maybe they're not even able to fully grasp things. We're not talking about someone that, that has to go to seminary and have a PhD. We're not, we're not talking about any of those, those things. But we're talking about people that, that know, understand the things. They maybe they've been walking with the Lord for a while, and they become dull. It just doesn't resonate as, as it once, once did. And we've all gone through those those seasons, but there, there's kind of this apathy, there's a sluggishness, there's a laziness that's going on. So that's one sign of immaturity, but there's also another one that, that he makes really clear as you kind of work through the text. Notice what he says in, in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so maybe another sign of immaturity would be that there's really no evidence of kind of discipleship-based relationships. And, that, and here's what I mean is, is you've learned these things, you've been taught these things, the basics of the faith, and it's saying, is there anyone in my life that I'm actually telling these things to, teaching these things to? Because he says, hey, you should be teachers by now. Now, I don't think this text is talking about the gift of teaching. I don't think this, this text is talking about pastors or preachers in the church. I think it's talking about everyday disciples of Jesus like you and me. That there comes a point where we take in all these things, we learn these things, but it's how am I passing it on to the next generation? That's a sign of maturity. Or the inverse is it's a sign of immaturity if you're not. Like how much, right? I mean, Andy, he's old, so he can tell me a lot of stories about, you know, pastoral ministry. And, and here's the refrain that we joke about. I mean, I've been in it for 20 years, so I'm, I guess I'm getting old too. But, but, but Andy always loves to say, Pastor, if we just had more Bible studies, then we could grow up in the faith, right? But I always say, well, who are you discipling? All this knowledge that you have, who are you telling this to? Who are you encouraging, right? Are you taking these things and passing it on, right? You should be teachers by now, right? Not just consumers. And it's all over the scripture. It's the great, great, great commission. It says they say great commandment. It's the great commission, right? Matthew 28, Jesus gives this call to every believer in, in Christ Jesus. As he's, he's leaving, he's ascending to the heaven, he says, all the authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the, to the very end of the age. That wasn't just for the disciples or the apostles. We're, we're called to teach the next Generation, And if, if you're a, a mom or a dad, like that's right where it begins, right in your home. Are you, are you passing on the faith to your kids? That, that's your little church right there. That's where it all begins. And then, and then it kind of goes out from there. Are there, are there neighbors, friends, coworkers, people in our church body? Are, are, are there opportunities that we're, we're having to, to, to pass along that faith? You should be teachers by, by now. Are there people we're discipling? Again, I know everyone goes like, well, Jeez, pastor, I'm not, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm not. It's actually way less complicated than that. I, I, I think of, uh, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6 in the Old Testament, this is a, a text I, I hang on to and I encourage a lot of, uh, especially parents that have kids, but just any, any believer. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is a picture of what I call kind of organic discipleship. And what I mean is most of the conversations that I have with my kids aren't intentionally around the table. Like we open the scriptures and we pray as a family and we, we do that. But it's at the bunk bed at night. It's in the car. It's at the sporting event or whatever, wherever we are, where we have these opportunities. Whether you're waking, whether you're sleeping, whether you're in conversation, whether you're in the workplace, whether you're in the neighborhood, whatever it is, that's where the best ministry happens, the opportunity to kind of talk about the things of God. It's not planned. It's not like, okay, today we're going to, now we have those times and that's important, but it's wherever you are, right? Wherever the opportunity comes up, right? Like I'd love for my kids always when we're sitting down around the table to have, yeah, this has been the best 20 minutes of my life. Thank you for unpacking day for me. I now see clearly hours later, hey dad, you know what? You know, hey dad can we talk about I love kids that was a good question I don't know how many games on the head of a pin I don't know um, you know um, it's not made. Well, that'll come later um, but you find yourself in these very organic discipling relationships that aren't planned and, and so so, so th- this is a sign if, there, if there's really no one in our lives that we're kind of passing on the things that we're learning and it might be very basic it might just be I don't know a lot but here kind of basic of what I, I do know, and I want to pass it on to you, uh, a younger believer, uh, even a seasoned uh, believer. Um, when we look through the scriptures, we see even the, the, the qualifications of elders and deacons in the church. One of the qualifications is you should be able to teach for an elder. And for a deacon, you should have have gone to seminary or Bible college or whatever, but you have the ability to say, here's what I understand of the faith and here's how I want to pass it on to you. A clear understanding of what that is. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with doubt. It doesn't mean we don't have, have everything figured out by no means. Here's why. Because we're disciples of Jesus. What does a disciple mean? It means a learner, an apprentice, a pupil. That means of your life and for all eternity who this guy is and what he's like and what he's called has called us to be and live. No one arrives. Like even as a pastor, like that's one of the, the, the detriments of being a pastor is that sometimes even people can see, I mean, you know me now, yeah, he hasn't it all figured out. That's for very sure. He's, he's got issues. Um, but there's no arrival for me. And believe me, as a pastor, I've gone to seminary. I'm in like huge school debt for the, you know, to know five Greek words. All for Jesus. But we're always learning, always growing. Now, if you go into my office, you'll see tons and tons of books in there. Now, that's all facade. That's not, I don't read any of them. If you open them, there's nothing. No, there is. But, but, but that's just been, it's like, wait, there's no words in here. Ha ha, I gotcha. Um, but there's a reason for that. I am a, ever since I became a Christian, again, I'm not bragging or boasting, but it's just this, maybe it's insecurity. It's just, I, I want to know. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so I always felt like I was always behind, but there's just this insatiable desire of, I, I, there's more to know, there's more to go, there's, there's deeper things to, of God to go. There, there's never a point of arrival. And I think that's what he's hinting at here. 
is that you're still on the bottle. And there's so much more. You've been sucking on that bottle, but man, there's filet mignon waiting for you. Just get out the knife and let's go, right? Now, think about that. Think about a church community where you have a bunch of people that are still on the bottle and not moving on. That kills the community, right? Because here's what you have. It, once, once you're just on the bottle and not moving on, you're just passive and you're just a taker, just a consumer. But when you become a teacher, you start going, how do I get in the game? How do I serve? How do I teach? How can I pass this on? Right? How can I help kids, adults, whatever? How do I get involved? How do I, how do I, how do I take these things I know and what things I'm learning and go, now it's my turn to, to kind of pass that on? If everybody's just on the bottle, guess what? We're all just kind of looking at each other, sipping our bottles and going like, <laughs> right? It affects the whole. Rather than, I'm ready to give. I'm ready to serve. And I think that's why the writer is so has these strong words because he knows the detriment of the church. If it doesn't get off the bottle, everyone suffers, right? Everybody suffers because then everyone's just going, Pastor, we just need another Bible study in Romans and maybe I can tell my kids about, or tell my neighbors about that. Okay. So signs of immaturity, indifference to the things of God, uh, no evidence of discipleship-based uh, uh, relationships. But what about signs of maturity? What about signs of, of maturity? Now, if you keep moving kind of through through the text, if you go back, sorry, uh, to Hebrews. He says, for 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, we'll get to that phrase in just a minute, to distinguish good from evil. But notice what he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up uh, to contempt. There's a lot lot there. but, But when we think about signs of maturity, it's very clear that the author wants us to know there is immaturity and there is maturity, right? Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, right? Very clear that there actually is a thing called maturity and it's possible. And there's hope for all of us that we don't have to live immature lives. We don't have to just be on the bottle. We actually can move to the, th- the deeper things uh, of God. And so it's important for us to just understand that, that, that even though they've been kind of dull of hearing, things just aren't landing the way they, you know, the, the writer would want them to. Maybe they're just kind of going, yeah, okay, yeah, we've heard that. And he's like, okay, you guys need to be teachers now. It's not just kind of sitting back and drinking the bottle. Let's, let's move on, right? Let's start doling out some steak and burgers and, and some bacon. Like, let's come on, let, let's go. Um, but maturity is possible. And there are signs of maturity and so what are those, those things? Well, one of the way he kind of, di- I, I sh- should say, says kind of does a dichotomy is here's some of these basic things. So he says, laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Like, like what does that mean? Well, these are people coming out of 
pagan religions, so they're worshiping all kinds of idols. And there are also people coming out of Jewish religions that are still, you know, making sacrifices in the temple, following Jewish customs. In Christ, there's no need for that anymore. It's all been accomplished, right? These, the, these sacrifices have no place anymore. You don't have to come and, and sacrifice a bull or a goat or a bird on the altar. Christ has become our perfect spotless lamb. You, you need to stop doing that. So something on in the church where they're actually kind of going back towards and going, yeah, I know Christ kind of accomplished all that on the cross and died for our sins and, and covered us, but maybe we should just, just to be safe. Right? Now, if you come from a pagan non-Jewish religion in those times, you're going to have all kinds of gods that they would call upon. So, so maybe, maybe I know this Jesus character, I know creator, redeemer, done it all, finished, complete, yes and amen, but you know, when I was not a Christian, there were all kinds of gods we used to call upon. Fertility gods and food gods and sex gods, all kinds of people, right? Maybe we could just call on a couple of them just to be safe, right? And, and so, so the, 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 the challenge is, is rather than, than kind of going into these foundations, we start kind of calling on these dead, that's what he's talking about, these faith and dead works, these idols or these other ways of doing it rather than faith in the author and perfecter of the universe, Jesus Christ. So, so that's going on. Um, also, what do you call the, just the faith, so the, the repentance of dead works of faith, and then also just faith in God. Now, Hebrews makes it really clear. I love the Hebrews gives of faith in, in verse 11, uh, verse 6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever uh, would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then we have the whole, you know, faith hall of fame, if you will, which we'll get to in a a few weeks. But but this idea that that we believe that he exists, we believe that he is creator, that he is redeemer, that there is no other God to be worshipped. There is no, we're putting aside those idols. We're putting aside all the ways we used to see the world and the the things we trust in and the things that we used to put our affections towards and our lives towards. And for Jewish people, all these, these rituals and customs and things that we used to, to do, we don't need to do those anymore. And I know for many of us, like sitting here this morning, you say, well, I'm not Jewish, and I'm not, I didn't come out of some weird pagan religion, but we all had things that we sacrificed to, and, and that framed our hearts and our lives, things we gave to that wasn't of Christ. Of course we did. And there's a t- temptation for all of us. It could just be just being a good person, just morality, right? I'm a good person, and that's my, my faith. It, it could be self it could be, you know, whatever political party you're into or, or, or whatever you give ultimate allegiance and affection to. Like, that's my, my whole, whole life. This is what I bow down to. He says, put that away. We're not going back there. That's, this is foundational stuff. We need to go deeper into these things, not, not go back to the way things were talks about instructions on baptism, the laying on of hands. Now, this was a kind of initiation rite into the church in the, in the first century. Just as baptism is, we were baptized into Christ. You know, Matthew 28, to baptize into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not just an individual thing. It's a communal thing. So they, they, they're now identifying in Christ in the community. And the laying on of hands would also be another initiation rite, where you'd lay hands on people to say, you're now part of the family. Sometimes you would lay hands on people that became teachers or official, you know, roles in the church. So something's going on where they're they're kind of moving, 
you know, away from these things and kind of getting things kind of goofy. And he's saying, you need to go deeper into these things and understand what these things mean in all their fullness. The resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Obviously, in Christ, because of Christ's resur- resurrection, we have the promised resurrection of our lives in eternity for all of eternity. And, and also judgment. There's going to be a judgment day that it's all moving towards these things. Don't, don't move away from these things. Go deeper into these things. So, signs of maturity, this is interesting, this is kind of how he's, he's defining it. it. It's not, well, I go to church and I, I do religious things. In many ways, what we, what we pick up from uh, verse uh, 13, end of and down to six. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. One of the marks of maturity is by being so rooted in Christ and his character and his ways and the word of God is that we're able to discern good and evil. That's what the righteousness that he's talking about here, that God is a righteous God. He's a just God. He's a good God. He's a gracious God, a loving God. So our lives should be able to discern what those things are. That's a sign of maturity. But also, these foundations that I just mentioned a couple minutes ago is we don't move from those things. We actually, what he's encouraging them is you need to go deeper into these things. Like we don't need to lay these foundations again, but we need to go deeper into what we already know about what faith looks like and why we baptize and, 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 and what all of these, what, what the resurrection means and what e- eternal judgment means, all these things. He's not saying move away from these things. He's saying you need to go deeper into these things. You need to understand them more and more in all their fullness. Now, <laughs> I know when I say that, probably some of you are like, geez, I, I don't even know that much about these things. Like, you know, am I the immature one, and well, even just acknowledging that says you're probably more mature than you realize, is that we should want to understand all the intricacies, I can't say that word, um, all the details of these things, all the doctrines of these things, that our faith can be rooted, as Paul says, when every wind of doctrine comes our way, we're not like a ship that just gets bowled over every time some new idea comes but we're rooted in Christ. We're rooted in the things of God. Our ears are no longer dull. We're, 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 we're trying to be, by God's grace and, and the Holy Spirit, be receptive to the things of God. And so we want to go deeper into these things. And again, I wish I had a lot more time to kind of go through all these things, which we don't have this morning. Um, because, you know, the, this is the big, you know, question. I'm actually going to make it a lot easier than, than probably the text maybe suggests. But there is a question of, you know, is this talking about, like, people that maybe are sluggish, are dull? Can they lose their salvation? Like, are they not Christians anymore if, if, if there is no taste anymore? Because notice what he says in verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and it's and be burned. 
I don't believe that the Bible teaches that you can lose your salvation. I think if, if someone is in that, that place and maybe they're totally gone, uh, they probably weren't a Christian in the first place. That, that's kind of, because here, here's what I do with, this, with the scriptures. If, if there's one verse and there's only one verse about that thing, that's not enough for me. <laughs> but if there are things that are overwhelmingly obvious, like when God redeems and saves us, he holds us and keeps us, and there's a lot of verses and a lot of evidence that, that makes that very clear, I want to hang on to that. And I think what the writer in Hebrews is saying is he's not talking about a group of people that have just totally gone away. Now, there is some dullness, there's some sluggishness, there's some weird teaching coming in the church, but he hasn't given up on them, and I still think they're believers in Christ, at least from this text. We don't have enough evidence to make a, a full out while they're obviously gone. Now, we know people that have obviously kind of started off really well, just like Jesus talks about soils, right? It falls on soil, and some are receptive and joy. And some it just kind of fizzles out. Persecution comes, the world comes, you know, right? This text. That happens, of course it does. But most likely they weren't believers in the first place. But here's my word for you. And if you're in here and you're just like, man, I don't even know if I'm a believer. Honestly, I don't care how you start, I care how you finish. That, that's how I look at it. Like, even as a pastor, I see someone get really fired up for Christ. I've seen it all the time. Baptized people excited about Jesus two years later, nowhere to be found, right? I care how you finish. And I think that's what the writer here is talking about. They care how you, you finish. Not just a moment or, or a season where you feel like, and I know some of you are walking, you have family members that are like, they're in a season right now. They are not hearing. They are dull to the things of God. That, that, you know, right? But let's wait till the end. Right? Now, I know that, that can be scary. We have loved ones that we, we want them to know Jesus, want them to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. But, but I want to go to the end. I want to not be these people that are just pouncing and, and always just, but we want people that are praying and, and continually sharing the things of God so that their hearts can be open and awakened. Because maybe they weren't Christians in the, in the beginning. And maybe this is the first time they become Christians. And now they really are rooted in, in Christ. And now they really can hear. And that's our role. That's not to plant the seeds, but God's going to make them grow, right, Rob? We can't make people believe. We can't make, we can't save people. I wish we had that, right? We wish we could reach into someone's heart and just go, just believe, right? So, so I don't think that's what, what this means. In, in Romans you know, 8, of course, you, you know Romans 8's coming. I don't think we can lose our salvation. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If Christ has given us everything, he's not going to take that away. It's not some sick game. Like, hey, here's all my gifts, here's salvation, here's thing, and ah, just kidding, you didn't work hard enough for it. But we can live in the tension. There is a tension of God's sovereignty, God's grace, and us pursuing Christ, seeking Christ, going after, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. His hand's still on us, but he still calls us to work it out with fear and trembling. Grace is opposed to, um, to, uh, to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. You hear me? Grace is opposed to earning. We don't earn anything. God has done it all for us in Christ. That's actually what they're addressing here. You're re-crucifying Christ. He's already done it. You don't need to do that. Don't add to him. He's done it, right? But it's not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to seeking the kingdom First, living lives of holiness, reading the scriptures, engaging with the Christian community, passing along the faith to the next generation. It's not against any of those things. Because I think sometimes we, we have this weird like view of God's sovereignty that somehow makes us passive and we just sit back on our hands and go like, well, God, God saves and God does. And so we just kind of sit back. 
The scriptures can live with that tension, people. <laughs> Does it all the time, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What? Work it out? I thought it's already mine, right? There, there's a tension, but it's okay. The scriptures can live with the tension. God still saves through means. You verbally talking about, Scott talked about this a couple weeks ago, proclaiming the gospel to people. He, God opens the heart, but we still have to do our part, right? We still have to read the scriptures. Now, God has to just impart it into us by just passivity, right? By osmosis. Okay, I'll stop ranting. But we aren't going to lose our salvation. That, that's not what, what the writer hears. And, and here's also another evidence, and this is, I'm going to land the plane on how we become mature. Is notice what he, if you keep reading, notice how he ends this little section. Hebrews uh, 6, verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved. He's beloved are God's people. The saints. We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He's not talking about losing their salvation. He's saying... We see your evidence of faith. We see your love. You're just in a bad spot right now. You're dull of hearing right now. You, you should be teachers, but you're still sucking on the bottle. You can move from maturity. It's possible in Christ. Don't live there. Don't stay there. So how do we get there? How, how, how do we become more mature? Well, the text is very clear on how we do that. Well, first is it's just simply it's an outward look of faith. An outward look of faith. Did you catch it in verse 10? For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. It's, it's we look to God. It's in faith. Hey, God, I, you might be right now. I mean, the opportunity just to like even quietly pray before God is like, yeah, like I'm there. I'm just, I feel a little dull. I feel like things of God just aren't exciting like they once were. Maybe I've you know, had this great experience on, in a campus ministry or at a camp when I was younger, and I just feel like I, I want to recapture that, and I'm not there, but, but, but God, I just want to just look to you because in faith, he's at work. The, faith I be, the work I began in you, I will complete, Paul says in Philippians. I haven't left you. And even if you're asking those questions, that's a good sign. I haven't left you. So it always begins not inward, not just navel-gazing, but it looked outward to the promises, to the hope that he, that he talks about, this, this earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. That's another way of saying, by faith, this hope of the resurrection because Jesus has resurrected from the dead. We don't look at our navels and go, well, I just don't feel it today. Anybody have like emotional up and downs? One of you? Okay, you're all liars. I'm just calling you all out. I see a hand back there. I see a hand. No. Uh, right? Like, it's a nightmare. Like, like some days you're just like, I think I was like floating on air and Jesus as I'm reading the scriptures. And the next day it's like, oh, how long where are you, right? Feelings. Like joy, love, assurance, right? Just, just like, man, I mean, this Christian life is so easy. And then Monday comes. I was like, what the, what? I don't even know if I'm a believer. How did I have that thought? I said that to my kids. I said that to my wife, right? Outward, in faith. God, I know today that was not what I should have been thinking or saying or feeling, but I look to you in hope. 
That's where it, it, it begins. We don't go inward. That's not where we begin. We look to the author and perfecter of our faith. The writer of Hebrews is going to tell us time and time again. And then, and then secondly, and I, and I held out this verse just for very intentional reasons, but look what it says in 5.14. But solid foods is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice. Did you catch it? That's not passivity. It's not let go and let, and let God. I don't like that. Not because this verse says, trained by constant practice. You have to engage. You want to be mature? You have to engage. Engage the scriptures. Engage with the Christian community. Get in a DNA group. Get in a city group. Attend a, a men's or women's Bible study, right? Go on the women's retreat. Go on the men's retreat, right? Get, get in coffee with someone and, and, and dig into the scriptures. Go talk about the things of God. You have to intentionally practice. Nobody stumbles into godliness. Nobody. You have not met a godly Christian person that just by osmosis became godly and mature by sitting back and going, I just let God do whatever he needed to do. Never met that person. I don't know. I just, I sit in my chair and angels come down and they just impart wisdom to me and scripture. No. Constantly engaging by practice, right? So that you can discern what is good of you. So you can discern what is of God and what is not of God. Oh, the turning of my hernia, sorry. Um, Apparently, I don't have a hernia anymore. It's just the, the wound of the hernia. I have to be very clear what that means, and you don't care, but I'm just saying it. Um, intentional plan. What is your intentional plan to constantly engage in these practices? Because remember, we're disciples. We're learners, right? It's one of our gospel identities, learners, right here. It's, it's where we get the word disciple, pupil. Jesus is our master teacher. We continually engage with him. And it's going to look different for everybody, and it's going to look different for every season of life. I know we have a lot, a lot of young mothers, young families, and it's like, I'm not getting up at 4 o'clock to read the scriptures. I'd love to, but sleep is a premium for me right now. All right? There's different ways we can, can constantly engage in these, these things where we can move from immaturity to maturity. We can go deeper into the things that we already know. And then last, which I think is part of this intentionality, is looking to the saints before us. Looking to God's people that have gone before. Now, it sounds like kind of odd. This is why I love our, I know I'm going to offend all of you, but I call them our senior saints because they've been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years. That's who I want to look to because they're still going. I want to look at Hebrews, right? this whole of faith, right? We've got all these believers on before us have made it to the end. We have these great biographies if you can read about Christians that have gone for us that persevere to the end. That is a shot to your faith to keep you going. Look to them. Through trials, through tribulations, through suffering, they're still walking with Jesus. And I guarantee you, talk to anyone in our church that's over 50, and they've been walking with Jesus for a long time, none of them will say this. You know what, Ryan? It's just been a perfect ride. Everything's gone perfect. It's just been a, been a ride, roller coaster up into heaven. You're going to hear suffering, trials, loss, doubts, fears, getting beat up for the faith, and yet they're still looking to Jesus and they're still walking with him. I can guarantee you that. Amen? So we got brothers and sisters around us to encourage us and build us up in this. We're not alone in this. We're not alone in this. 
That's all I can say because I'm throbbing. That's not a metaphor, that's reality. But every week we have the privilege to see and taste that God is good. That you've come in here this morning, I hope you didn't feel beat up this morning, like, geez, yeah, I'm, I guess I am immature. That's okay. Like, I hope you would actually have that response and not just like, well, I got it all figured out. Next. But it's a warning for all of us to keep looking to Jesus. And we have this visible, tangible picture every week of the, the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus and the cup that represents the, the blood that was shed for our sins in Jesus to remind us that he's with us, that he's gone before us, that he lived the life and live. He died a death we should die. He rose victoriously from the grave and he's coming again and he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. And this is to encourage your faith, to keep looking to him. This isn't a pull up your bootstraps and become mature. Get off the bottle, you stinking sinners. But it's look to him first. Look to him. If you're a believer in Christ, please come and celebrate with us. The way we, we take uh, communion is we break off a piece of the bread, we dip it in the cup. There'll be two lines up in here, up in the front, two uh, different servers. If you have any allergies of any kind, we have some gluten-free, nut-free bread in the middle. You can take that as well. And if you're not a believer, like maybe you do have dual ears, permanently dual ears, and you're like, I don't know, but I'm kind of curious about this, this stuff. The, the first step is to, is to look to Jesus, to put faith in the, the historic Jesus of the scriptures, that he lived and died and rose again for us, that he's come to create all things and redeem all things, and we've all been there. So if you want to talk about that, we just ask you to stay seated, but if you want to talk to me about that or an elder, we'd love to chat with you about what that means. Um, and maybe it's your first time. Maybe, maybe it's your first time of, of believing and taking communion. Come and, come and do that and talk to us after. We'd love to celebrate that with you. So with that, I've talked enough. Let us pray. Father, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who was obedient in every way, the one who was without sin, the one who understands our weakness and our temptations, the one who understands our immaturity, yet was never immature. The one who never leaves us or forsakes us. The one who sends a spirit who, who's not done with us, that the work you began in us, you will complete. And I pray that would be just an encouragement to our church here this morning. You're not done with us. It's not how we begin, it's how we end. And nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing can separate us from your grace. Nothing can separate us from your goodness. And so wherever we are in this morning, maybe we do have some dull ears. Maybe there is some, some, some laziness. Um, maybe we're a little lethargic when it comes to the things of God. I just pray you renew our spirit. Renew our minds, renew our hearts so that we would desire the things of God. We would desire to know you and walk with you and love you and follow you all of our days. So do that work that I cannot do. Only you can do by your divine spirit and your divine grace. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and celebrate the supper with us.